In today's episode, we share insights on how to make transitions easier for your child to include tips on making holidays more autism-friendly, as well as how to prepare your child for road trips, travel, and more. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. We're going to be talking about transitions, which is perfect coming off of the meltdowns and tantrums episode because oftentimes those are closely linked to an issue with a transition. Actually, we probably should have worked it the other way around and had like transitions. And if you do a bad transition, this is what you get. So So basically, we didn't do a good transition. Basically, or <laughs> if our audience are influencers, as we call them, can listen Not to the- Not influencers. We're or, the influencers. Oh, They're the embracers. Embracers. You're right. <laughs> and that's scary if we're the influencers. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, we're not really- Okay. We're way no, off a tangent. No, no. Okay. Back on track. So we are talking about transitions today. So we have encountered transitions, I mean, I'd say quite frequently with our oldest daughter. And it kind of ranges from a transition on the day-to-day. And then there's kind of the special categories of like unique situations that we kind of fall into as well, where if transitions are done bad or something's off of the transition, it kind of turns into a meltdown. So our older child, she's the one that has more difficulty with transitions. Our youngest child doesn't really care too much about transitions, but I feel like that has a lot to do with the fact that she doesn't really engage with the world as much. So she's kind of like less likely to care. I think also because she is so quiet, I still kind of think may, might still fall into the category as mostly nonverbal or is she I think she's not to... nonverbal at this point but I think she's just kind of disconnected. Just, I was just saying she's pretty quiet so I don't really yeah. I don't really see the breakdown that we do in our oldest child just mostly because she's super quiet and she, she doesn't really say much much of anything. Yeah, she's not one to really complain right. but the eldest child she I mean you will notice she's very you will vocal. definitely she will, notice. She will let you know if something is not making you happy. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It might be the only thing you notice. Right. But the the reason we talk about this topic and we chose to talk about it is because again it is really closely tied to the meltdowns and tantrums and shutdowns as well for the older kids but also it is something that I think falls under that whole sensibilities category because it's kind of more behaviorally related transitions in themselves are not behaviors obviously but the act of going through the transition or the act of not being able to go through with the transition I think falls more under that behavioral so kind of the like expression of the sensation that's kind of on them if that makes sense or we're getting really meta here (laughs) (laughs) well I'm just thinking like okay so if she's playing with like her um favorite like light wand or whatever that spins lights and projects light if we're saying okay um it's nap time like basically we need to take away your wand she will freak out right so in that instance it's because she has like the attachment to like the spinny lights or the vibration of like the wand itself right so it can be the sensory system that is also kind of inadvertently triggering the meltdown which is due to a transition because They're trying to, or we are trying to transition them from a very highly rewarding thing that they 
really, really enjoy to something that is less enjoyable, like going to bed or taking their nap. Right. So, I mean, so that I would say that that is like a typical, like small transition because we've encountered many small transitions kind of throughout the day. Another example would be like if we need to go in the car to go to the store or any other place that we have to actually like get her in her car seat. There could be a meltdown if a transition is not properly like worked through and we kind of just abruptly say, oh, we're going and we basically shut down whatever we're doing right then and there and pick her up and take her to the car. That most likely wouldn't end well unless she is already asking to go to the car in the first place. Exactly. So what we've found is that most of the time, the transition issue that results into a meltdown is typically because whatever we're doing or presenting to her is not predictable in nature, A, or it's not as fun as what she's currently doing, which is often something sensory related. So it might not even be that it's fun. It might just be that she's meeting some sort of sensory need. And if we're taking that away from her, it's kind of like the end of the world. So for us, I mean, there's there's been like a couple of like techniques that we've used for like taking her in the car, for example, that we've kind of tried to utilize to make that transition a little bit easier on us. So like one is if she's playing with a small toy, for example, that is able to come into the car with us, then it's easy just to kind of who are we kidding? We let her bring like giant doll <laughs> no, houses no, we, into we, the car. We did draw the line <laughs> with her what was like a tricycle or something. Yeah, and the inflatable canoe, she tried to bring that one time too. The slide, oh my gosh, the other day she started dragging the slide towards the door and she wanted to bring it to the car when I was bringing them to school. I I, I resort to, I'm not sure about you, but I resort to like a bartering system like, oh no, no, like let's get this toy, it's smaller, you like this toy better. (laughs) Right, so that was actually one of the techniques that the OT kind of suggested was getting kind of like a smaller version of the thing. So like, for example, instead of bringing the giant slide, Something that you could use to help transition her into going into the car was getting her that little tiny toy playset that we has right, that has, has like the little, the little figurine slide that can go down the slide. Right. So like just say, oh well, we can't bring this big slide, but how about this little toy slide? And then give her the little toy and then bring that in. And I would say we have had fairly, I'd say, decent success. If we're able to transition her to using a small item to bring with her, I think there is a decent amount of success with that overall. Another technique that the OT had given us was if we wanted to give her a specific toy that she could only bring for car rides, for example. I know one of the ones that was suggested at the time was like a little toy car because it's easy to associate. So it's like, oh, every time you go to the car, you get to play with this tiny little car that we give you and you could only play with that when you're going in the car and for the duration of the car ride. And then it stays in the car. You can't take it with you outside of the car. Basically, they have like the special reward that is only associated with the thing they have difficulty with transitioning into. We do have the struggle when she's coming out of the car wanting to take her item with her. Now we have to transition out of the car without the item if possible. Exactly. So that's kind of like the harder part. But then you can give them like their house toy. So it's like every place that they go, they can have their specific toy that is associated to that. I know at school, for example, when they come, we have a really hard time transitioning at school too. When it comes to drop off, she has a really hard time going in. She'll cry. She doesn't want to leave. And one of the things that they started doing is transitioning her with wet wipes because she loves wet wipes. And so one of the things that they'll do is when it's her time to go in, they'll be in there with like a wet wipe waiting for her. So she knows that if she goes to class with no problem, she gets to have this wet wipe with her. 
So again, it's something that's very desirable, and she sees the enjoyment of, oh, if I go to class without being upset, then I have a reward kind of in place. Right, and then that is, like, only given to her during that time. So, like, we don't let her keep all the wet wipes at home and all that. It's like you basically specialize the time to school so that she always has that reward there. The other time that we saw this was when we moved. We basically moved a year ago at this point. I can't remember. It's been about uh, just over a year. About a year ago. And we moved from a place that she had been her entire life. Like that's where she was born. Yeah, we brought her home from the hospital. She was there. And she was there. I mean, it wasn't a long time. She was only there for like two years of her life. But it was during that peak of, you know, the autism diagnosis, the evaluation, when she had peak symptoms at the beginning and all that. So when we finally moved to the new place, we were still very new to autism and we did not realize that the move would cause a huge meltdown. We didn't realize that the transition was just going to be huge for her. And I think we we kind of misjudged it because our assumption was we were moving into a bigger place and it was like, oh, you're going to have like your, your own little like room to run around. You can have all your toys in this main living room area. Like you can have so much more room to run around and have fun. And we thought that she would be so excited with that that we didn't really think that there would be any kind of like pushback or repercussion to not basically transitioning at all. And that definitely caught us off guard. And it was definitely, I would say, a rough, at least a couple, a couple, a week or two weeks. Yeah. And that first couple days was really rough. Although I will say we did try to make some minimalization of the impact because I remember that we packed her room last. Remember, we we moved everything out of the old place and we left her room as was as long as possible. And then as soon as we moved out, we took all her stuff from her room at the old place and we put it in the new place and we tried to make it as identical to the old place as possible in terms of how everything was organized in the room. And that probably was helpful to tell you the truth. I mean, even though we probably didn't notice much of a positive result, I'm sure that probably did help to some degree because it might it would have probably been worse if everything was brand new. We possibly were able to kind of lessen the the impact there. And honestly, she did find going to the new house. The problem was when she realized that we weren't leaving. She thought that we were there temporarily, like we were just visiting this house. Right. And so once she was kind of over the newness, because she had fun playing around in it, then she started crying and wanting the old house. And then it was like, an all-day meltdown for like two to three days straight, just straight meltdown from morning to night. I had never seen anything like that. Right. I think I think in the evening when she was kind of going to, going to bed and she realized like this is different from, from what I'm used to. And then it kind of sank in from there that this is kind of her, her new world, that this is her new house from then on. And she, and she still recalls it, new house. So like we're, <laughs> we're driving in the car and then um, if she doesn't want to go home, she'll say no new house. So and we're like, well, That's at this not point, really I'm not anymore. really sure it's new, but okay. Like, okay, we'll keep driving. <laughs> but we learned a lot from that. And now every time I see other parents that are asking for advice, I'm like, your child's going to go through a really difficult transition if you don't accommodate this. So what I recommend now, and I've been recommending to some of my friends, and it's worked out for them, is if at all possible, if you are planning on a move, try to get pictures of the house in the room that they're going to be in and like the bathroom and the common areas. 
Try to get pictures of that prior to your move and see if you can put together like a little social story for your child and just show them like kind of like a tour of the house. Hey, this is going to be your room. This is going to be your kitchen. We used to live here, but now we live there. And if at all possible, bring them to physically tour the house and get them used to the idea. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because I mean, it wasn't just her room that I mean, obviously it was completely different. But even bath time, because it was a totally different color bathtub. Like, I mean, in our old place, we basically had like just like kind of a stand-up shower that she would bathe in. We had like a little pot. A little mini pool. Up, yeah, yeah. That they would kind of use as a bathtub. But this, I mean, actually had a bathtub, different color. And so, I mean, everything was completely new and foreign to her. So, I mean, it wasn't just, oh, my bedroom looks different. It was everything in the house is completely different. So, I mean, I definitely think the social stories, at least she has a visual story. She has pictures so she can relate to, oh, okay, I've seen this in the book. And that's kind of, I would think, a nice transition. So if you are looking to move, definitely prepare in advance. Just assume that there may be a difficulty in transition because it's better to be prepared and it not happen than it is to go in unprepared and then it does happen and then you don't know how to help your child. And I always try to put this back into the perspective of the child because I know for us, it's really stressful dealing with meltdowns and tantrums and shutdowns. But we have to remember that when those situations happen, it is the child having difficulty with the transition. They are going through a much tougher time than we are. We're just seeing the outcome of their internal turmoil. We're not experiencing it though. So it's really important to make sure that we try to just keep ourselves aware that, you know, at the end of the day, the child is truly the victim in this situation. So we have to just make sure that we're accommodating them as best as possible. Right. Because our biggest struggle with moving was, okay, can we get everything in a box and push it in the truck and then, okay, move and unpack and all that and set everything up. But I mean, as far as like any emotional or like deeper impact with the move, I mean, I didn't really have any impact. It was mostly just logistics and can we pack everything up and get it over here? That was my biggest struggle. But I mean, we weren't struggling at the same level or capacity that I mean, she was. We never really know what they're truly thinking or feeling. So I just like to assume that they must be having a hard time. So let me just be empathetic and try to accommodate rather than assuming like, oh, they're spoiled or they're just having a tantrum, etc. It's also similar when it comes to, you know, we were talking about the car and the transition to the car. One of the things that we noticed was that she was having a really hard time with being put in her car seat. And that was something that we had to work on. We used a little kind of like the PEC system, not quite though, because we just used the visual picture and it wasn't for language reasons. It was for kind of like a visual schedule, but it was just the one card of the car seat. And we would give her the card of the car seat. And that was kind of to like prepare her for that transition. Like, hey, we're about to go to the car. You're going to be in your car seat. And then when she goes in the car seat, she can play with that little card. Some people, what they do is they take it and then you can get like a little crayon box, I think they're called, the little pencil box. And then you could like put a little Velcro strip on it and then put a Velcro strip on the back of it. And then you can use that as kind of like a first then board. So if you have other visual pictures that you want to put in there like snacks or if you're making pit stops on a road trip and there's different places that you're going to stop, you can put little pictures of those in there and then just make the little pencil box kind of like a first then. So then on the inside, you can store all the different cards and then on the outside, you have the Velcro and then you just put in like the car seat image for when they'll be in the car and then you put the second image of where they're going to for their destination. And I was going to say for the first then, we, we have had kind of a split success rate with that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. 
I know as far as like the visual schedule, it feels like she is in some degree in charge of what she's doing with kind of herself in space. So I think that helps on the kind of the level of like, okay, I know I'm going to the car seat because I have the car seat picture, for example. So I'm not sure if that might help her in our case, because it kind of puts her in control in a sense. I mean, so there has been some success when we do that as well. And it adds a level of predictability. So if your child is going into the car and they don't know why they're going, they might end up melting down because they might think they're going somewhere they don't want to go, for example. Like that actually started happening for us after we took that long road trip. Remember? Right. right. We took a road trip of what was it like a 12 hour it's like 12 plus hour road trip right yeah and what happened was we had been in the car for so long that she started associating the car seat with kind of being trapped in the car and she did not like it so it would lead to a meltdown when we came back from that road trip and we had to basically reteach her that hey if you're in the car seat you're actually not going to be there for a long time it's just a temporary thing right and we actually had to basically kind of tell her like oh like we're going to the store like like short distance to kind of get her used to oh sometimes when i'm in the car it might be i'm in the car for five minutes sometimes it might be half hour hour but letting her know that not every time you're going in the car seat is going to be for a long duration of time it just depends on where we're going and that's where that picture system can help because you can give them again a sense of predictability you just tell them where they're going and they can kind of play with it if they want to entertain themselves on the trip but it lets them at least know what's going on yeah i think that's a good touch The other transitions that we had a lot of difficulty with was like, for example, bringing them to highly desirable places like the park. Right. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Gosh. Super highly desirable. (laughs) But it, it works on two levels. So if you're struggling to get them out of the house, you can use the park or in our case, you can use the park as a way to get them to go to the car. But then leaving the park is the the Yeah, then it's hard to transition (laughs) them back. So it kind of goes full circle. But we've learned that what works for our child and was referred to us again from the occupational therapist was a few different methods. One of them we actually learned from the speech therapist, which was the countdown. So this is basically when we're kind of ending our journey at the park. So we'll give her a warning about how much time she has left. So I think we start off with like three, is it like three minutes left? It depends on the age. So if your child is older, you can probably do something like 10 minutes left, five minutes left, one minute left. But if your child is younger or doesn't quite understand the concept of time time yet, it's not really useful doing the longer minutes. It's better to do the lower time minutes because then there's like an immediate reaction. So they don't forget it by the time that it happens. the next one hits. So I think usually we do like, okay, like three minutes left and then like all done. And then we shift to, okay, one minute left. And then we kind of do the countdown of like three, two, one. Okay, all done. Sometimes that's, I mean, still been a struggle for us on the one hand, because obviously she's still having a good time a highly desirable activity. But there have been times when she has built in enough time in her mind that she's hitting that countdown of three, two, one, and she's decently satisfied with, okay, I'm okay with leaving because I've done what I need to at the park, essentially, or gone down the slide the last time, for example. What we also learned was when that wasn't working, like the basic countdown, there are other ways that you can do it. One of them is called a visual timer, and you can get these anywhere like Amazon. I'll put a link in our show notes in case you need to find one. But those are like if your child is more attuned to visual sensory information, for example, 
they're like color coded to like green, yellow, red, and you can set a time on it so that green means like you're good to go. Yellow means you're running out of time. Red means your time's all done. So you can use that as a way to give them warnings as well to help with the transition. And the other one that we initially used that was kind of unique was using songs because our children are both very, very musically oriented, like they love music and songs. So one thing that you could do if your child is very much into music or song is to pick a song that you choose for transitions and just have that song play because the standard song is probably between like a minute and a half to like three and a half minutes or so. Right. So you can easily use that as like your time. So, okay, I'm playing this song. And when the song is over, it's time for us to go. So then they know when the song ends because it's their favorite song or they're familiar with the song. It actually worked on another level even today. I think she was kind of struggling because we were going to the car, going to the store or wherever. And she was kind of struggling kind of on the ground. She didn't want to go to the car. And then you were playing, I think on your phone, one of the Disney songs, I think it was the the, Rapunzel one. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then you started like, because you were taking um, our youngest daughter to the car. So she heard the song and then it kind of trailing away as you were like, kind of like taking her down to the car. Yeah, I did that on purpose. Right. And then, so she was on the floor and then she like, she was crying and then she stopped crying. And then she was wondering like, why is this song like fleeing? So then she like stands up and then wants me to pick her up so she can like catch up to the song. So then I just like (laughs) pop her right up and then we're out the door. And then of course, like we got down to the car and then she was like singing along by the time we got to the car door. Cause I mean, she was listening to the song. Yeah. I mean, if your child is as musically oriented as our children are, you could do that too. I don't think that works for many kids because I don't know that they are all that attracted to music. But if they are, you could do that where I basically just had a song playing and then I walked away with the song. And because it's such a highly like desirable thing for her, it was enough of an attraction that she followed me. She oh, followed yeah. the song. And then we listened to the, the song, what, like seven more times in, in the car. car. As, right. she, as, as she's singing to it in the car as well. Right. So. so if it works for your child, like if they're very attuned to music, that's something that could work with them. If it's something like lights or a toy or something like that, you could kind of do that where you kind of lead them away with it and help them with that transition. Well, that's what I was going to say, because it, it almost comes down to kind of like pick your battles, essentially. And it's the same thing with like bringing the toy in the car. If you don't want any toys in the car, like, okay, but if you're able to accommodate like a toy in the car or playing a song, there's no reason to be super rigid if this is something that is helping, if it's soothing, if it's allowing them to make a transition more easily. I mean, definitely pick your battles and use whatever tricks and skills you can to kind of get the job done. Right. Like you don't want to cut your kid off cold turkey. Right. That That's just kind of harsh, in my opinion. And if you think about it, just like as an adult, if you are at work right now and you're working on this project and you're really invested in it, and you're sitting at your computer and you're typing away because you have this report that's going and somebody comes, knocks on your door and it's like, hey, oh, oh my gosh, today this thing happened and blah, blah, blah. And they start like talking to you about their day. You get frustrated, don't you? Like you just kind of like, whoa, you just interrupted me. I was really into this thing. And now you want me to change my focus and listen to your story while I'm trying to type up this really important report. I feel like everyone can relate to that. And I think that we just need to try to understand that and empathize that when it comes to autism, it's similar to that in the sense that if you're really into something, it's difficult to turn away from that. And it just seems like with autism, that switch is not as easily flipped as it is with non-autistic or neurotypical people. Yeah, because I know when I'm watching my favorite show and you turn off the TV, I'm like... 
what are you doing? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying like that transition wouldn't be great for me if I'm really watching like a show I love. There's so many things I want to say right now, but this is not that type of podcast. (laughs) And Leah just turns off the TV and leaves the room. And that is my... And then you follow me because I have music play. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, But (laughs) that was so weird. (laughs) But it's true. Like if you're watching a show and like there's no transition of like, oh, hey, like let's go somewhere. And you just turn off the TV without any conversation or any awareness. Like you'd be like, your your first reaction would be like in a happy mood, like, oh, let's yeah, go. Yeah, like, like when the guys are watching <laughs> the game and you just turn it off. Right. It'd be right. like, it'd be like, what are you doing? Like, right. why? Right. So, and I mean, I'm not trying to equate that to what it's like in autism because it's not exactly oh, no, no. the same thing. But it's just to try to give you like a sense of empathy and understanding so that you can kind of relate. It's just so you know that like whenever children are struggling with transitions, I mean, Regular children struggle with transitions. Neurotypical children struggle with transitions as is. So imagine having to deal on top of that anything that might be like sensory related or special interest related or anything like that that's like very intense. I just always say, you know, we have to work on giving ourselves an extra layer of patience and understanding and try to get creative with how we transition them out of these situations so that it's easier on them. And perhaps we give them something to kind of comfort them during that process. Of course. And also, I mean, just kind of a last note is I would also say like, as long as you try and keep like your own personal, like mood, mental process, kind of very calm and neutral during the process of the transition, like you're not getting worked up, stressed out or upset at the child. Like, I feel like that also contributes and is also helpful as well. And one of the places that we often see the transition issue is also during holidays. I know like for us, particularly holidays was a big issue the first year around. Right. And we actually had to change how we kind of celebrate how how our family tradition for holidays actually works. We actually have completely changed how we do holidays. We realized the first year that she was old enough. So she was like, what, two? Yeah, just, just about two. Yeah. Yeah, when she first started understanding holidays, we started noticing issues right away because she would have complete meltdowns due to sensory overload. And we realized that the issue was that we were basically throwing up all the holiday decorations and everything overnight. So we did not allow her for time to transition into the holiday. So we kind of learned from that experience that that was a transition process that we needed to basically develop for her. Right. And as well as, I mean, I think the first holiday, I think we've referenced it before, was Christmas that we really noticed a huge issue there. And it was also, I mean, additional people coming into the house that she wasn't accustomed to. Music being played, wrapping, paper, I mean, lights, I mean, kind of the whole thing. Just kind of all at once, no real transition into any of this. And it, I mean, it basically blew up in our face. Yeah, because you also had the smells of food, cooking, cookies and meats and everything. So it was like all the senses being bombarded at once. So we quickly learned after that first year to start taking it slow with holidays. So now when we put up decorations, we don't put them all up at once. We kind of slowly put them up. (laughs) So what, November 1st? Is that what, is that your, your... My cutoff. No, no, for starting to put up Christmas decorations. Yes, I am now starting Christmas decorations on November 1st. Don't judge me. (laughs) The the cobwebs from Halloween are still there, but the tree is right there. I mean, those cobwebs are there all year round. So, (laughs) So, (laughs) Um, But yeah, we basically learned to slowly put in the decorations. And then 
What we do is Christmas Day, the gifts, we actually spread them out throughout the week because she was overstimulated with the sound of the wrapping paper and honestly having too many gifts at once was too much. So we basically just learned to kind of break things down into pieces and gradually put it up. And ever since then, it's gone totally smoothly. And it was night and day. I mean, since we took so much time to set up the decorations, she didn't feel that that was out of the ordinary, that it just popped up instantly. And then the same thing with the gifts, having them spread out was very slow in progression as well. So those are just a few thoughts when it comes to transitions. Our kids go through a lot of transition difficulties. We could honestly go on and on about all the different examples, but that's all we could fit in this episode. If you guys have any interesting transition stories or you want any recommendations or any ideas, feel free to pop them in our Facebook at Autism Wish. We now have an Instagram that's also at Autism Wish. And we take a look at those and perhaps may answer yours. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. To review, we discussed how using a visual timer, countdown, social stories, or song can help make transitions go smoother, as well as how allowing your child a special item can help comfort them during difficult transitions. We also mentioned how gradually putting up holiday decorations and slowly opening gifts over time can help reduce sensory overload. Tune in next time as we learn more about proprioception and ask questions such as, Why does my child have a hard time staying balanced? Why do they often seem clumsy? And how can I help my child become more aware of their surroundings? This is Embracing Autism. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.